Welcome to Your Parenting is Showing, a podcast about what happens when your nice, smooth, professional front is upended by your parenting backstage in pandemic time. Where two so-called experts bring their friends on to talk about their own pandemic parenting wins and blunders, highs and lows, or as we used to say when our kids were little, popsicles and poopsicles. I'm Ellen. I'm a child psychologist in Boston. And I'm Molly, a local church pastor in Berkeley, California. And together we wrote a parenting book aiming to blend the best of child psychological science with a progressive Christian wisdom. To guide our parenting on both the easy days and the really, really messy ones, from toddler to teen and beyond. Hey friends, we're here today with the third episode of our podcast with our very first guest ever on our podcast for a special Christmas edition of Your Parenting is Showing. I'm here so delighted to be with my dear friend, Quinn Caldwell, who is a fellow United Church of Christ minister. He is also a father. He is also an author and a fellow daily devotional writer with me as part of the UCC Still Speaking Writers Group, where we're not supposed to have favorites, but Quinn, you're kind of my favorite. Just for today, anyhow. Don't tell everybody else. Um, a couple years ago, Quinn hung up his preacher's stole to stay home with the kids and be a full-time uh, father and house husband and be and and go into farm husbandry, the the old-fashioned form of husbandry. Um, Quinn, how many goats do you have at this point? So that's actually a variable number. We raise. Uh... Fainting goats, which you've probably seen videos of online. <laughs> so yes, I love fainting goats. Yeah, and so we raise them because they're actually smaller than uh, other goats, and they're sort of easier to contain. And then they're also a rare breed. And so part of our little home hobby farms philosophy is we're trying to really focus on genetic diversity in the breeding stock and the uh, food supply in the United States. And so um, all our uh, we raise ducks and geese and goats and human children. Um, but the farm animals are all rare breeds. And uh, myotonic goats is actually the sort of really real name for them. Myotonic but you know them goats. as feigning goats. And sounds spiritual. That sounds like a sect of Buddhism or something. It's, it's a really weird story. It's like the, the story of why fainting goats are a thing is like half ingenious and half like cruel and terrible. So it's like humanity all in one story. But so once upon a time, a random goat developed this genetic tick that meant that when it got scared, it froze and um, fell over. And some smart shepherd somewhere noticed that and started selecting for it, breeding for it, and creating oh. a whole new breed of goats that have that. And the idea is you put a couple of those in with your like Angora sheep, your really valuable livestock. And then when a wolf jumps in, the pen, the fainting goats fall over, the valuable livestock run away, and the wolf stops and eats the fainting goat. <laughs> They're oh literally the sacrificial goats. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, unnatural selection. Yeah, right. Um, oh my gosh. And I just thought about this. Story. I just thought about this. You're an actual shepherd. We have an actual shepherd on our Christmas show. Oh my gosh. I wish I could show you. My husband asked for, a, it's called a goat hook, but it is straight up a shepherd's crook for Christmas. There's a like <laughs> foot long tube wrapped under the Christmas tree that he has to know what it is, but it's, it's, it's a metal, long metal. Three guesses. We get three for, guesses, Terry. Um, yeah. So your, your Christmas card next year is going to be awesome. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> 
so um, justice shepherds. So we we always have a different number of goats because we raise them and eat them, right? So we're we we breed them, but then we also eat them. Not all of them. We have ones that are more like pets and ones that are really good parents and you know whatever. This is mostly my husband's deal. So he but he keeps like careful track of all the bloodlines and he's like a member of the myotonic goat registry and like it's a whole thing so anyway so right now i think there are nine out there because one of our neighbors we brought one of her does over to meet one of our bucks sassy yeah and so we um it's that season and uh, you want to hear another weird thing molly one of the questions you said you were going to ask me is the weirdest goat or farm task that i did yes yes so one thing at this season that we always have to do is we go out and look at all the does to see if they have green on their back, the color green on their back. Because when you just put the goats out there, when you put a a buck in with all the does, there's no way of knowing if anything has happened, if any magic has happened overnight. Unless you have like a nanny cam and you're kind of a, and you're kind of a, you know, yeah, that's That's a different business than the one we're doing. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, so the buck ha- wears a vest with a great big piece of green chalk in, like, on the chest. Oh. So if the magic happens, then the doe will have green <laughs> on her back in the morning. He will leave his mark. Yeah. Literally, he leaves yeah. his mark behind. Interesting. All right. So you have nine goats. Quinn, do you tell us a little bit about your family? How many children you have? Yeah, we have <laughs> only nine. have goats. You have and not kids. kids right, your kids and kids, right. Human kids. Um, yeah, we have two kids. Our older, they're both boys. Our, as far as we know, they're both boys. They both have male bodies. Uh, our older one is 10, and his name is Asa. And our younger one is four, and his name is Asher. And they both have A names because there's a tradition in my husband's family where all the siblings in a uh, sibling group in a you know in one family have the same initials. So like my husband and his two brothers are all TMH, and like his his mother and her two sisters were all CMC, and he hates it. He think they they all think it's ridiculous, and I'm like that's so adorable. Yes, we're totally doing that. So our our sons are both ARC. I think oh, that's I love so that. cool. And you know, there's actually like some of the happiness research says that people and ki- kids do better when they understand themselves as part of a larger family story and can kind of locate themselves among the ancestors. So see what you did there? You didn't even know you were doing that. Well, we, d- we didn't know we were doing that, but we, there was a piece of intentionality in it because both our sons are adopted. And so we were, wanted, we're always trying to do everything we can to make them feel as connected as possible to um, our family, which has not been hard. There's no resistance there at all. And at the same time, we help them uh, feel connected to their birth families wherever we can. We're still in touch with their birth families and in contact with them and um, are really have really open relationships with them. So, um, but the, the initial thing was part of our wanting to net, be sure they felt part of the Howell clan. That's my husband. That's beautiful. That's connected beautiful. in that way tradition well and i think it's so interesting that you brought it in more so than your husband too right because i think that's that's true in in lots of families the rituals and traditions we choose to keep and the ones that we choose to leave behind and we might be more inclined to keep something from a partner because maybe it has less baggage associated with it for us or we can 
kind of tweak it and make it new and make it our own, which a lot of us are having to do. We were talking about that a little bit before too, right? Like yeah. Christmas traditions that we're having to tweak and make different, make our own because of pandemic times. And um, yeah. we and then our, our kids take those on and, and they are sometimes force us to change things for the better. Yeah. I um, um, Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just thinking about traditions that are different and um, cr- how Christmas works in different contexts. Like Christmas in the context of a global pandemic and um, all that's been painful about 2020, all that's sort of wrong about 2020 or being revealed about who we were all along that maybe some of us were able to pretend wasn't true about us all along. When, all the ways that 2020 is hard. It's like... the. 2020 is what Christmas is for, like longing and mm. absence and sort of misery and fear. That's actually the mm. proper context for Christmas. If those things yes, didn't yes. exist, we wouldn't have needed Christmas. God would not have needed to bother becoming embodied, showing up on earth, doing all the things that God did um, in the story. If everything was just fine, it would have been, I don't know what redundant for God to have done that. Um, So as much as I hate like the stores putting out all their Christmas stuff in October and, you know, all the stuff that we all like to, you know, Christmas starting earlier and earlier every year and ministers especially like to complain about that because we want there to be Advent and before Christmas and all that stuff. And I'm among those people. Um, People's sort of vocal longing for Christmas for at least the last six months, I don't know, longer, um, and, and just their desire to beautify the world, beautify their homes, put up all their stuff, create magic and delight and wonder. Um, it's like, that's, that's what this was for, you know, not, yeah, not the uh, capitalist part of it, not the consumerist part of it, of course, yeah. but, um, but the, that longing and then and then finding ways to creaky, weird, problematic, you know, uh, not quite good enough ways to try to meet the longing. is like, that's the story. And then God completes it. You know, God perfects it in the end. Um, yeah, that's so true. And I always think of how Molly talks about, you know, God with skin on, right? That, that why did God have to come to us as a human being, well, to be with us in all the messiness that comes with being a human being, right? That that was exactly the idea. And being a human being is messy. 2020 has been very messy. And it's been very human. Yeah. And to come so tenderly, like Jesus' name means he saves, right? But that little baby ain't saving nobody. That little baby forces us into a position of responsibility and caregiving. And so many of us have encountered ourselves anew in that way, like both needing to allow ourselves to be tended this year and to force us to tend others, you know, to, to, to watch out for vulnerable neighbors who live alone um, or vulnerable people in the supermarket and in, in line in front of us. You know, just it, it's made us so aware of our fragility and the fragility of others and our mutual interdependence. And to me, that is also what Christmas is really about, just acknowledging that vulnerability and that, that need to be shepherds, care, caregivers for each other um, and for this tiny little baby who is, you know, in the fourth trimester, essentially. 
Yeah. I was talking, we were, I was on a text string with some colleagues. I am on a text string and someone sent um, a happy Hanukkah meme earlier this week for folks that celebrate Hanukkah. And we were talking about if ever we needed a light in the darkness, it was this year, it was 2020. Yeah. And my, our youngest, um, Jonah just turned 11 yesterday. So his birthday is December 14th. And we, for years, we would always, you know, say we won't put the tree up until after his birthday. You know, we'll start Advent, but we won't kind of put the decorations up because we want him to feel like he gets his birthday before we move into the Christmas season. But it became apparent by the time he was maybe three that he loves Christmas, loves everything Christmas, wants to start. And this year he wanted to start listening to Christmas music in September. <laughs> so, and, and we were like, we've just got to go with this. There's no reason to kind of hold it off because he loves it and he wants to start to bring that expectation and and anticipation of joy um, as soon as he can. He wants that in the house. Amen, Jonah. Yeah, I'm I'm normally super orthodox about no carols before the Sunday before Christmas and this year at first setting Advent, I was like, Open the floodgates. We need yeah, to all rules are out the window. This we, it's been Advent for six months. We've been waiting forever. We need all <laughs> the joy. Um, so, Quinn, your life changed a bit when you decided to um, to give up churching for a while and be home with the kids. Um, and then it probably changed again, although we've talked about this maybe not as much as for the rest of us when the pandemic started. Can you describe some of those shifts, both the shift to being home with the kids and the shift? to pandemic and what it revealed to you about your own parenting, positive and negative? Uh, So to answer those in sort of reverse order, I think that Mm -hmm. what the pandemic revealed is that we had uh, made the right choice for our Mm. family. So when the pandemic hit, not much actually uh, needed to change for us. You know, we went to the grocery store less often and, you know, things like that, that we we didn't go out to eat, you know, those kind of things. But um, when our kids' school went totally virtual in March or whenever it was, like, not not a lot changed. We didn't have to scramble the way a, a lot of people did because uh, I was just here. And so, of course, that's a change and all change is lost and all change is hard. But um, it, it, it wasn't, there wasn't the panic that a lot of people had. There wasn't the fear that a lot of people had. And even like in those early days when we were all wondering, like, is this it? Is this the, is, is this like the first episode of The Walking Dead? We're going to be that farmhouse. <laughs> In the in the in the post post apocalyptic horror movie. Yeah, right. Yeah. And we looked around and we were like, we're actually going to be fine, even if that happens. Even like, we're we're a cloth diapering family. We're long out of diapers now, but so we have a diaper sprayer on, hooked up to our uh, toilet, which is like just shoots a high power jet of water. And we were like, we don't even need toilet paper. It'll be unpleasant, but we, like, you know, we we're fine. We'll we can survive anything with this diaper spray. Um, so, but there were just a lot of points like that, many of them silly like that, but some of them more serious where we were like, actually the choices we've been making all along feel a, a little bit justified now. So we're not preppers, but, you know, we don't have pits dug around our house full of steaks or anything. It's not those kind of choices, but just like to, to <laughs> live where we live, to, to be, to produce a portion of our own food, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
And then to, for me to have become a stay-at-home dad for a while, at the, when we did that, my husband's job was different. He was doing all this international travel and whatever. Um, but we, so it was partly us like saying, yes, we've been making the right choices on, on one hand. And then on the other hand, just feeling grateful that we had those choices to make, right? That we were able to mm-hmm. uh, select That's among a number of options, our favorite option, and, yeah. and take it, which obviously so many people aren't able to do. Um, but so we wanted, the, the reason we uh, made this choice is because we, we felt like our family needed it. You know, I, I, the way I do pastoring is like a lot of hours a week. It is for anybody, and but maybe the way I do it is, is slightly more, <laughs> I've been told. Uh, and, and then my husband was doing a job that was, you know, a million hours a week on his own. And between us, he was the much bigger earner. And so like, it was just kind of obvious for financial reasons how we had to make that choice. But we just wanted um, to be as present as, as adults could be in our family. Um, we actually don't have much to say about that. That's not sort of a cliche, like nobody ever gets to the end of their life and wishes they spent more time in the office, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but, it, but like, that's how we were thinking and still are. Um, there's some realities in our neighborhood. We also couldn't find anyone to watch our younger son. Like we had done a home daycare, but the woman who was doing that got a job outside her house. And we live in a very rural part of the world and and in our little town for whatever reason um there's a lot of uh families where one of the parents is stay at home and so that the whole system sort of assumes that in a way um so we Mm. just couldn't we literally couldn't find anyone my mom drove 40 minutes a day each way um to stay with our younger son for like i don't remember eight months or something until we could work all this out so um yeah i'm I don't know that the decision for me to stay home and be full-time was so much a sort of philosophical decision as it was a series of um, practical considerations and then a little bit of like not wanting to have regrets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think you hit on so many important things in there too. I think that um, I wrote about this a little bit when it applied to teenagers and college students and the pandemic pause, this kind of like, well, we sort of have to stop and maybe do things differently. and evaluate, are we happy with the way we've been doing things or are we not? You know, do I want to continue on this path that I'm on? And I think a lot of families are feeling that. Do I enjoy spending time with my people? <laughs> like it's forced us to really confront that question. Um, and and it's not that there's a right or a wrong answer. And if some people are coming to the conclusion that I don't like spending time with my people or we're not on the path that we should be on, then that's important too. Um, so I think it's revealed a lot for people. And, and I think what I love about your what what you're saying, Quinn, in the decision making process to to be a stay at home dad, as and there's actually some really good, interesting research on this as well. You guys being a two dad family, that you're under pretty much all the same constraints and pressures, availability of daycare, childcare, whatever that a, that a heterosexual parenting couple might be. Um, but there are fewer assumptions maybe about who's going to do what. So even though the choices get kind of forced by society and circumstances, the process of making the choices can feel a little bit more deliberate and like a little bit more in control. Um, and I think that it's, it's such, uh, uh, it's, it's the, the way I personally feel like 
most families and couples should make those decisions and choices, being honest about we're under these constraints. You know, we have the privilege of certain choices and we don't have the privilege of others um, because that's true for every family. And then how do we how do we kind of work within that our own little system within this bigger system that we live? Yeah, I'm a little jealous, I have to say, as a as as a heterosexual woman. (laughs) In a marriage, lots of things not to be jealous of. Lots of you know, homophobia is still alive and well as we know it. More than one person, I shouldn't overstate it, but more than one person, sort of one way or another, sidled up and was like, "So what really happened? Why did you leave your church?" Um, oh, interesting. Because they assumed that a man wouldn't stop leaving their or wow. wouldn't stop working, wouldn't leave their job even temporarily Mm -hmm. to be a stay-at-home dad, unless something had gone wrong. So only when something goes wrong is a man forced to babysit the children, right? Is this sort of... Because um, it's lesser work. It's not not important work like pastoring. And you had a big pulpit at Old South, and then you were a solo senior in Syracuse. And yeah, so for you to make that choice is really countercultural. Yeah. So can we spend some time talking about how sexism hurts men? Yes. Yeah. Just kidding. No, no, no. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, think it does hurt men, but mostly it hurts women. I and think like, we just did, though. No, but it really... I mean, so but well, that's but, part of the point. Patriarchy will only end when men understand how it hurts them as well. Yeah. So the, my example I always give about that was like, without going into too, too much detail, at one point in my career, I felt like, I, you know, I was, I was given maybe certain latitudes to work from home or do different things because I had a little kid at home. Um, and I happened to work with my two good friends who are both men who are married to each other. And um, they didn't feel like they could ask for the sim- similar kinds of allowances or or didn't deserve them or something because they didn't have kids at home. And I was, and I was like, that's that's ridiculous. This is just humanity. This is like reasonable work-life balance. Everyone is entitled to work-life balance, regardless of your gender or your family status or whatever. So I think, yeah, it's so important to think about what, what do we value as a society? How are we living that out? How are we not? How do we value, what do we value as parents? How are we living that out? How are we not in our families? And to try to take all of those kinds of stupid expectations out of it. Speaking of expectations, Quinn, how have you found your real parenting to line up or not with what you know is good um, and teach professionally as a pastor under the stress of pandemic? Where are those gaps? Yeah. So one thing um, that I learned from you two from your book is the idea of like parenting as a, I, I hope I don't misrepresent this just interrupt and tell me if I do but um, parenting as a as a task of sort of allowing your kid or kids to become who God plans for them to be like who God mm. plans for them. not who you want them to be not who whatever you know let them uh, be the shape that they are or the shape that they're uh, that God is longing for them to be not the shape that you're that I am longing for them to be in. That's a struggle. Like it makes absolutely yeah. makes uh, uh, intuitive sense. It makes sense even after you think about it. You know, it makes sense immediately. It makes sense when you think about it for a long time. And it's really hard to do in practice. Yes. Because our older son's room is filthy and he would never <laughs> find anything in it. And if he would just put his stuff away one time when he was done with it, then I wouldn't fall down, you know, um, or whatever, you know, fill all the other stuff. Um, if he didn't only want to play violent games all, all the time, if he just wanted to, you know, 
watch musicals with his dads, he would be yeah. a um, Yeah, I mean, it's easy to talk about and laugh about now, but like in the moment uh. when you, somebody's tired, somebody else's patience is shot, somebody else doesn't feel very well, you know, whatever it is, it's like really hard to not yes. um, try to make them who you think they're supposed to be. Um, and then this is true sort of in every relationship, I think, certainly all my relationships to, to let the person you are talking to be the person that they are right then, not the person they've always been that they're, you know, whatever it is, whatever your history is, whatever your preconceived notion. Yeah. 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 Let them be who they are or who they're becoming in that moment and not, and, and recognize that it could be like a hard left turn, a radical departure from who they've been before. I think like sort of, in some ways, one of the worst things I do to other people without meaning to, and I'm not alone in doing this, but is like thinking I have somebody all figured out mm-hmm. that, they, that they have thought, no surprises left inside yes. them for me. Like I know, like I know who you are all right down to the core and I can tell you what you're going to say next. Yeah. Uh, that's just so cruel to do. Even if you don't say it out loud, yeah. it's cruel to even think. I and call like, that the sin of I certainty. And particularly from a parent, because we have such power to shape our kids' self-perceptions. And we are our children's gods to one degree or another. Um, Mm -hmm. That's that's what makes it doubly cruel. Well, and parents can be the ultimate orchestrators of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I mean, if we we expect our kids to behave in a certain way or assume they're going to do something, to be honest, truth is they are going to do that or behave in that way because they're they're in most kids are incredibly attuned to their parents' expectations. So they're watching. And so if they get that sense that, well, you just expect me, <laughs> you know, maybe even if, even if it is to throw my towel on the floor every time, even if I do throw my towel on the floor nine times out of 10, if you expect me to do it 10 times out of 10, well, then I may as well do that. Um, and, and yeah, exactly that moment to pause and just sort of, instead of assuming you know, like I know in our house a lot of times we'll just assume who made the mess. It's such a silly little thing, but who usually makes the mess? So we'll assume who made the mess and it might not actually be that person. You know, like it drives my husband crazy that people just put their dishes in the sink instead of the dishwasher and he'll assume it's the kids. And now he's learning nine times out of 10, it was me. Yeah. And if they're blamed (laughs) for the things they didn't do because of our perceptions, then they might as well do them. Right. 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 Yeah. But it's so hard. And, but I think you were also getting at something else in there too, Quinn, is that we're spending so much time together mm-hmm. that any differences between us get highlighted too, right? So it, it it's no a little history. extra pain yeah. when you have no other outlet that, you know, your kid won't watch Hamilton with you. <laughs> or And I might be speaking for you or for myself. Um, or won't sit and do the puzzle or that they would prefer to play the video games than watch a family movie or whatever. It feels extra painful because we're spending so much time together, I think. Yeah, that's right. And um, uh, the good news is that he, that both our kids are getting so much exposure to their parents apologizing. We just are like apologizing all the time. So I feel like that's a place where we're winning. We just have so many opportunities to show them (laughs) what what it is to ask forgiveness. So you're welcome, kids, wherever you are right now. It's like Um, having a thousand words for snow. In pandemic, we all have a thousand ways to apologize. So the thing that... um, a thing that makes all of this trickier for me is that I'm like a pretty strong introvert. Like I would say a very strong introvert. And so at the beginning of uh, 
uh, quarantine times, everybody had all these jokes about introverts have been, you know, preparing, preparing our whole lives. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this, these introverts were not preparing to be locked in a house with other people. Like I've been preparing to be alone in a bunker with alone. no one else my whole yeah. life, but like to be <laughs> in a house with a so many other people and it has Even been really people. hard to the point yeah. where my how long ago my husband people. was like maybe you should just go to like the motel down the street for a couple nights all by yourself and I was that like oh so but then I know I usually do go away a few times a year for the writers group that Molly and I share and you know one or two other things and that time is really important to me to just kind of be alone in a room and whatever blah 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 but I would feel weird about just you know leaving for no no destination <laughs> for no reason and he was like I really want for you to do that. You know, with this like heavy I, duty eye I contact. I really want this. for you to leave for a <laughs> and be alone. I think it's really important that you take care of yourself. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's hard. Like I'm I'm an ambivert and I'm more introverted in my older, in my middle ages here. And my sister-in-law lives literally across the street from us but they have decamped to their place in the sierras because it's bigger and they have lots of kids and they can distance learn there better so there's an empty house literally across the street from me and even though i need to get away i feel it's like there's this umbilical cord holding me to my own home what i really want is for the other people in my house to leave (laughs) and i don't want to stay home but my spiritual director actually had to like give me a homework assignment like every Wednesday to go spend a couple hours at my sister-in-law's place. And I still don't do it, but it's, a, it's almost enough to know there's that space I can, I can flow into if things got really hairy or just, I just, yeah, we're, we're, we're starting to pick too much. I needed to give myself a time out. Quinn, you have a Christmas book came out a few years ago. It's called all I really want readings for a modern Christmas. Um, tell us in a word or two about that. Cause you know, we're going to keep celebrating Christmas for months. Absolutely. Months. So yeah, go and get it y'all as your Christmas starts to wear a little thin and go get Quinn's book. What's it about? So it's, um, short readings for, it started out actually as an Advent book, but then we realized the, the publisher and I, that it would be better if it went through Christmas tide. This is a churchy word that nobody else knows, but you know, the 12 days of Christmas go through, um, the beginning of January. And so if we made it last a little longer, it would be more marketable as a Christmas gift <laughs> that people could buy for each other. Uh, but so it's short readings, one for the morning and one for the evening of um, each day for the, it, it starts on December 1st because Christmas, well, Advent does not start on the same date each year, the church season of Advent, but we wanted it to be usable for um, different Evergreen. years. So it starts on yeah. Yeah, December 1st and goes through January 6th. So uh, a short reading um, in the morning with a little bit of Bible and a little bit of sort of homework, um, really simple thing you can do that day that kind of ties to whatever it was I was writing about that day. And likewise in the evening. Mm, Um, I love that. I love the morning and evening too, because I think we're all lacking that transitions time and the markers of so much normalcy, you know, it's like, Oh, I go right from morning into work into family and whatever. So to have kind of a ritual each day that marks, you know, maybe the beginning and end of the work day or whatever. Yeah. That's and my great. goal for them was to be, That's make great. them easily consumable in one trip to the bathroom. So like, Excellent. 
while, while you're hi- if you're an introvert while you're hiding in the bathroom to breathe, you know, <laughs> with your like head between your knees, like for a few minutes, you could you could get this done too. Excellent. And if you want a Christmas resource, Advent and Christmas resource to do with your kids, Quinn and I put together an Advent calendar that goes with the writers group devotionals, and we can post that in the link. Um, so you can hear a little bit more of Quinn's voice. Quinn, last question. I know you might have to interrupt the answering to go get your oh, kid yeah. at the bus stop. You need to run out to the bus. It's 2.37. It's okay. They you really need to go now? 2.41. It's like... So okay, okay. Last question. Where is the gap between the Christmas in your head and the one that will probably actually happen in your home? And what's better about real Christmas? So it's because of the shape of our lives, real Christmas actually it looks this year mostly like it normally does so like a a few things will be different like my mom usually comes and spends the night on christmas eve so she's here in the morning and like spending that much time in one in a house together um it feels a little risky even though we're all really covid conscious and careful and whatever but so she's just going to come before light on christmas morning and just be here for a couple hours rather than spend the night so um we're like none of our family lives super far. None of our families of origin live super far away. So like, we're all going to be able to get together in more or less the same ways, just like um, with masks on and the windows open and whatever, and and probably not eating um, in the same room as one another, that kind of stuff. Um, But so, yeah, that is different. Um, But it's, it's not that different. One big thing is my husband's family has been having every December a family Christmas party for 70 years. This year would have been the 70th annual Howell Christmas party. And it's like a big deal. It's like dozens, it's in fully half of the town he grew up in. She comes, are all related and she come to this party and it's like a big deal. And it's virtual this year. So it's like better than nothing, but you know, like so many things it's going to be we're going to all pretend that it's great, but really it's going to be painful and weird. On the other hand, some like far flung cousins. Thank you for saying that. I'm so jealous of people who have all these like fun family Zooms. I'm like, even the best fun family Zoom is just painful and weird. Yeah. A pale wisp. It's all like miles pasted on. Yeah. Okay, I got to go to the bus. I'll be right back. Is that okay or do you need to go? Yes, yes. No, no, go ahead. I'm back. Quinn's back from the bus stop. How's Asa doing? Did he have a good day? Uh, he's fine. I did not ask him how his day was. I told him what my needs were and told him to do it. <laughs> That's my this is all perfect. good modeling. Did you, you're a whole person with your own agenda. No, he seemed fine. I could, I could tell from his face. Um, okay, good. <laughs> and he had already, I, I did miss the bus, but Mr. Chuck, the bus driver, oh. apparently trusted that I was going to be there. So how are your kids? And, um, how can we pray for them and for you? So I will say that be, it, it did get very hard to um, for our, our older son to be virtual to do virtual school mm-hmm. for the you know whole second half of last year just to mm-hmm. not see his friends except on weird uncomfortable Zoom calls and they he zoomed with one friend kind of early on and they were you know I let them have some space they were in the other room but I could kind of hear. And they were silent for mm-hmm. like a full two minutes before I finally like whisper screamed from the other room, ask him how he's doing. 
yeah. and, like, <laughs> and you know, then they talked about that a little, and then like another extremely long pause. And I, and so then after <laughs> they got off that call, I was like, here's a list of things that you can do or say when you have nothing to say that will help you <laughs> conversation. And so the next time they uh, got on it, it went much better. Anyway, that, that got so hard. And then over the summer, like, he didn't really get to see friends very much. We loosened up with our families of origin and got to see them a little bit. Like, so being in school physically this uh, fall has been so good for his mm-hmm. mental health. And our mm-hmm. school is able to um, really do, uh, be as safe as I, I think you can be under those circumstances. So that's been good. Strong prayers that that continues. Yeah. And our for our, our four-year-old, we worried, would never be able to go to any kind of preschool or, like, have any care outside my care. And so, like, we were really worried about kindergarten. He was, I was convinced he was going to show up a, a complete savage, just, like, <laughs> just walk in the doors and biting and scratching and, like, you know. What is circle right. time? <laughs> just snatching anything you wanted from every other kid. But there's a little preschool that's like two two hours a day, three days a week that operates in the elementary school in our town. And they did open up. We thought they weren't. They did open up for this year. So he's going to that. So getting a little bit of socialization. Hey, what's up? Actually, just so you have to go pee and he goes the door in your face. Okay. Thank you. Just actual parenting in progress. Okay. Good job. Right Thank now. you. <laughs> What? See? Sorry. All I heard was pee and close the door. The younger son got up and needed to pee, told his other older brother he needed to pee, but then slammed the door in his face. So he's in the bathroom right now. <laughs> this is real life pandemic parenting happening right now. Um, the prayers that they both get to stay in the schools that feed them yes. because, yes. Um, you know, it goes back to that, that piece about us, you know, not holding expectations for people. I take a huge issue right now with the fact that I think many, many, many adults held the expectation that our kids are going to be fine on screens. They're on screens all the mm-hmm. time. They can do this Zoom school. It'll yeah. be okay. Um, and that, at least in with my own kids and all the kids that I work with, that it is the rare, rare exception of kid who tells me that they like remote school better than in-person yeah. school. Um, and so I think we have to listen to them and what they need. And um, I'm so glad that your boys are getting more of what they need now than they were in the spring. So yeah, yeah. as long as they're, you know, the, the staff and the teachers and everybody stay safe. I want to say that. Yeah. Everybody in a Ho- safe way. Of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So those, those prayers would be welcome that that continues to go. Like if you want to pray for a snow day tomorrow, that's they are. So you can decide if you want to join in with them or not. I think we're getting that. that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not Molly, but again, I'm jealous. Again, yeah. I'm jealous. It never snows here, but so I um, just heard the younger one run the whole length of the upstairs and kick his older brother's door open. Where his older brother's being very well behaved, trying to have hot chocolate and do his after school reading. So I think I'm going to go. Do you want me to come back, or should I, we just? I think we can wrap okay. up. Um, we're so grateful. Thank you for joining us. It's always wonderful to talk to you, my dear friend Quinn. It's such an honor and to be your inaugural guest. Yay! And have a merry, merry, wonderful, surprising Christmas. All right, you too. Thank you. Oh, can you hear the screaming? Okay. Yes. Bye. Yeah,
Bye. Bye. <laughs>